Last week, we spoke in Ephesians chapter 1 about the wonders of our God. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to have a, Paul come and speak to us as a body of believers. But so he is, didn't speak to us, but he wrote to us. And as we've already learned, this particular letter, the, the, the letter of, to the Ephesians, was a circular letter. It wasn't just to go to one church. It was to go to all of the churches in that area so that they might understand and comprehend the workings of God within the family of God, the church, so that we might understand who we are in Christ. But as I've said over and over and over again, more importantly, who He is in our lives and how secure we are because of how great is our God. Remember last week in chapter 1, in verses 19 and 20, Paul said these words, wrote these words, verse 19, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power? His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of His strength, of His might, His strength and His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Well, chapter 2 Paul is going to show us the amazing power and strength and might of our God. An almighty God who demonstrates this power and strength and might by not only raising His Son from the dead, but all of us who would but just believe in Him, believe in His everlasting word concerning His most glorious Son, Jesus Christ. Paul demonstrates in chapter 2 the great power of Christ. For every one of us who will believe, He moves us from what we have in Christ to who we are in Him, and that is alive. Spiritually alive. Read with me, please, verses 1 to 7. But don't expect us to rush through this place in Scripture. It... um, it is far too magnificent. Um, I will say to you ahead of time, um, this is a time if you're visiting with us and, and you've not yet committed your life to Jesus Christ. And you wonder, what is all the excitement, maybe, or the, or the, the idea of this, this thing called Christianity that flows through those of us that attend this church? We want you to listen. I do. I would love for you to listen as closely as you possibly can today. And if you have a friend that, uh, those of us, all of us here at this church, a friend that you've been dealing with and trying to share your faith with, and and, and they're inclined to come to church, I I would invite them next week. We're going to hit hard on where it starts in verse 4 when it says, But God. God changes everything. Verse 4 is just the magnificent start. And so as I said to you already, any, any pastor worth, worth his weight in salt would love to be in this place in Scripture. Especially someone who has a heart for evangelism. Someone who has a heart that would love to reach people with the truth of Jesus Christ and who He is. And so let's read these words. Let's read from verses 1 to 7. But for the most part, we're just going to go through the first three verses. We'll stop just before we come to that magnificent hinge within this place in Scripture, verse 4, where it says, But God. But let's read 
Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are going to be God's masterpiece displayed throughout all eternity. Those of us who are so, so unworthy. But because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our God is going to show in the ages to come the surpassing richnesses of His grace in kindness towards us because of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. There is nothing more secure than knowing your eternal destiny. And so if you're here, as I mentioned, visiting, and you're here um, kind of trying to investigate what is this thing called Christianity, I beg of you to listen. I beg of you, if you can, to come back again even next week. But this week's sufficient enough. Let's pray. Father, would you please do us a, an amazing favor? Would you open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, we might explore and behold wonderful things that are written within your law, the Bibles that we hold in our laps. Father, this place is far too valuable for to it be entrusted to just a human being, someone who has studied as much as I can, Father. I, I want to take it out of my hands and, and, and lay it back upon yours. I ask that you would move me aside, Father, please. I ask that you would speak to the hearts of the people here. Please, Father, touch each of our hearts, mine included. Move upon each one of us, Father. We, we pray that your grace and your kindness and your goodness might be seen for who you are. And we might note, as Paul has written to us, that we were dead, dead, hopeless and helpless in our trespasses and in our sins. And yet you have made us alive because of your great power, your strength, and your might. Oh, Father, thank you for your kindness. And, and as we sung, we say boldly, Father, how great is our God. Sing with us, Father, we prayed, how great is our God. We love you, and we are, Father, uh, indebted to your greatness. We pray these things, Father, in the most precious and wonderful name of all names, 
we pray these things in the very rock-solid foundation of our church. We pray these things in the very cornerstone that has allowed us to gather together and trust that you hear us, not because of who we are, but because of the one in whom this church has been built upon, your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name, Father, we ask these things. Amen. Now, this is a great place in Scripture. I can't wait to start telling you about it. Paul's purpose in writing this letter and sending it to all the churches is to build God's forever body, his church. In building his body, Paul wants you and me to see the miracle that takes place in bringing a soul from death into life, giving a soul salvation. Paul writes these two chapters, chapters 1 and chapters 2, very similarly. By that, I mean, both are divided into three sections. As you remember, I'm not going to go over it deeply, but in chapter 1, if you remember, in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, our past was secured by God the Father when He predestined us in our position in Christ. By that, we have become children who are holy and blameless before Him in Christ. That's our position. In our present state, chapter 1 taught us in verses 7 through 12 that God the Son, Jesus Christ, redeemed us through His blood, giving us the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. He has forgiven us, wiped them away because of what He did for us upon the cross. Moves us to verses 13 and 14 in chapter 1 to the future where God the Holy Spirit sealed us with a pledge of His promise that we would inherit God's possessions, that we would be a part of God's forever family and we are secure in, in the hands of God the Holy Spirit through the future. Well, here in chapter 2, Paul divides the first section of this chapter into three parts as well. He talks about our past. He says in verses 1, 2, and 3, our past is that we were dead, dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Then he moves us into the present, verses 4, 5, and 6, stating that now, because of his Son, God's Son, we have life. And then he moves us in verse 7 to our future, stating that he will show what lies ahead to all of us who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. It says in verse 7, in the ages to come, in other words, he's going to show for all to see the surpassing richnesses, uh, richness, riches of his grace in kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. Watch now, all of these blessings, just like we saw in chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. All of these blessings are found in Christ. If you look at verse 5, it says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us live together with Christ. That could also be translated in Christ. 
by grace we've been saved. Verse 6, raised us up with Him. He has seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All of these blessings are wrapped around the very essence of of believing and being a part of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we preach and as God proclaims, all the blessings that you and I receive are in His Son, Jesus Christ. But notice, as verse 1 tells us very plainly, before we believed in Jesus Christ, we were like that that movie that was entitled Dead Men Walking. We had no life whatsoever, no spiritual life. We are told by Paul in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 that the wages of our sin is, do you know what it it is? Death. The wages of sin is death. But, but, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. Life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, Paul makes it clear here in verse 1 that all of us, Every single one of us, and he includes himself in verse 3, that we were all dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But listen, you need to hear this. A person is not spiritually dead because they have sinned. A person is not spiritually dead because they have sinned. No, we are all spiritually dead because our nature is sinful. Since the fall of man, way back in Genesis, chapter 1, 2, and 3, when God created man and woman, and they took of the the fruit when they were told not to. They went to that tree that they were told, do not touch it, do not eat from it, do not even think about it. They went there way back in Genesis where Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden. At that moment, you and I, all people who will ever be born took upon, them, took upon ourselves their nature, one of sin that needed to be born again, if you want to use those words, or made spiritually alive, or born from above, whatever you want to call it. We took upon that nature of sin that had to be transformed into life, because the wages of sin was death is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. And only God, only God Almighty can make our spiritual nature alive, moving a person from death to life. And it was His plan to allow His Son to go to a cross to die for our sins. It all fits in. The picture becomes more clear as you start to study and go through the Word of God. And spiritual life only occurs through the miraculous power and strength and might of an almighty God who only He and He alone can do such things. Listen, what other religion wipes out all sin? What other religion has a risen Savior who who was dead and rose again from the dead? What other religion guarantees and secures all of its believers to be given everlasting life. That's the power that Paul speaks of in his prayer. Look back again. It's it's a miraculous prayer in in chapter 1. Just for a moment, when he says in verse 18, I pray 
that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. He wants us to understand so that we would know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of His strength, of His might, which He brought about in Christ. And He demonstrated that when He rose or raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. You see, until a person allows God to give them spiritual life through His Son, then that person, even though they may be walking around, responding to life, they are nonetheless dead. That is, spiritually dead. Paul states as much in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 6. He writes this, She, or he, who gives themselves to wanton pleasures is dead. But watch even while they are alive. He says, when you give yourselves over to wanton pleasure, you are dead even though you're alive. And so Paul writes, we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Now these two words are extremely important. We'll touch upon them in a moment. This spiritual death is a part of our nature. This spiritual death must be done away with. And only God can change us from death to life. Everyone needs a new life. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all of us have sinned. And what? All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glory. And so Paul takes into account everyone when he uses the words in verse 1, trespasses and sins. Watch this now. The words trespass and sin include every single person. Someone might say, and I have heard somebody say this to me, and you've got to kind of step back for a moment. Someone might say, "I've, I've never sinned. I wouldn't purposely hurt a fly. If that's you, If that's your mindset, God allows you to know that you still need a Savior. That's why the words trespass and sin deliberately entrap every person on the face of this earth. The word trespass is the word P-A-R-A-P-T-O-M-A. It means to slip or to stumble as an accident. It's kind of like this. It's It's like you're walking somewhere, right? And you're kind of walking along, and all of a sudden someone says, Hey, John, you look back and you don't know the steps here, and you stumble, you you trip over it. You didn't mean to stumble. You didn't mean to do something wrong. You might have offended someone. You didn't mean to, but you did. That is a trespass. That is something that, that happened that you didn't mean to do, and yet you did it. The other word, sin, in the Greek is H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. It's, it's, it's an archery term. It, it means to miss the mark. Basically, when, when they had archery in those days, when they shot an arrow towards a target, in the middle of the target was the bullseye. Well, when the, when the, the arrow struck the target, 
the distance between the bullseye and where the arrow landed, that distance was called sin. It's, it's how much you've missed the mark. But interesting, that word in the Greek means to deliberately miss the mark. To deliberately fall short of God's standard. It implies to sin on purpose. It's, it's like when I was a kid, uh, my sister and I, we were totally different people. We'd be walking down the street and my sister, oh, look, at there's a bunch of ants crawling by. Let's, oh, look at how sweet. And I'd go, which ones? Which ones are sweet? You know, I was that guy. I was the guy that wanted to, ooh, I missed one. Deliberately did it. That's sin. (laughs) So you see, between the words trespass and sin, none of us can stand before God. Some might say, well, yes, I sinned, but I I didn't realize I did it, God. I didn't realize that was your standard. I I stumbled. It It was simply a mistake. And yet God says in James chapter 2 and verse 10, He says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on one point, he is guilty of how much? That's great. Good for you. I, I don't think I would have known that. Whoever keeps the whole law, just lived as impeccably as you could live, and yet stumbled, not even purposely, didn't do it on purpose, you stumbled in just one point, you're guilty of it all. Now, some might say, well, gee, that's, that's, a, very, that's a very mean spirit of God. No, on the contrary, it, it really is a kind God. Because, you see, He wants you and me to know that none of us are worthy. We've all fallen short of His glory. We all need a Savior. And He doesn't want any of us to feel so secure that we can go through this life without, without coming to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, even those that we didn't mean to do. We didn't mean to offend you, God. We, we were trying to be kind Even that sin that a person does and actually didn't mean to do it still makes them dead, spiritually dead before God. Listen, apart from God and His bringing us back to life, we are all hopelessly and helplessly dead. Here's a difficult truth. I I say it's difficult because this was a wrestling point that I had with my father. When I came to Jesus Christ, it was... It was the most glorious of times. Uh, it was like a weight, like a just a giant weight jumped off of my shoulders that, that I really could have everlasting life, that if I were to die that day, I could go to be with the Lord in heaven. It was a glorious moment for me to, to understand that feeling. And the first people I wanted to talk to about that was my mom and my dad. They were the most wonderful of people. Morally, they were really nice people, but... Never went to church, just didn't go to church. But really, my dad, I would love to be half, no, just a part of the man that, that he, he uh, was. Went back and shared with my mom and my, my dad. And uh, my mom was pretty easy to sell. Mom said, yes, I'd like to have Jesus Christ. I'd like to be with you eternally, son. I want Jesus Christ in my heart. She prayed and received the Lord right at our kitchen table there in San Pedro. My dad said, you mean to say to me, son, that 
that men that are in prison and have done the most despicable of things, if they were alongside of me to say this prayer, they would go to heaven just as quickly as I would? And I said, yes, Dad. Yes. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of His glory. All of us need a Savior. And my dad wrestled with that. I'm I'm happy to say to you that he asked Jesus Christ into his heart as well before he passed away. Listen, no matter how good a person may appear to be, doing great things, being helpful, kind, courteous, you know, a, a Mother Teresa type person, nonetheless, without Jesus Christ in their heart, even a good person is just as spiritually dead as the lost and hardest of criminals awaiting death on death row. You see, we are all sinners. We're all in the same boat. It's just to the degree that you have sinned. And we are all in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ said as much. In Luke chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that? He says, Even sinners do the same. In other words, even sinners do good to some people. Our Lord's point is that a person can, can do an act of goodness, but it cannot reconcile them to God. Nothing can bring us to God apart from Jesus Christ. How do we recognize this? I would like to ask you to turn here now to John. John is to the left. John chapter 16. I would love for you to look at verses 7, 8, and 9 with me of John chapter 16. Jesus Christ is explaining to His disciples that He is going to die and He is going to rise again from the dead and He is going to be with the Father in heaven from that point forward until He comes back again the next second time. And so He says to them in John chapter 16 and verse 7, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. You see, they were heartbroken that He was going to leave them and who could blame them? He says, because if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Helper was the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I'm going to send Him to you. And He, when He comes, He's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, here's the point I wanted you to see. It's written in verse 9. It's a simple little verse. He says He's going to convict us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, Jesus Christ says... What sin? Well, the sin is because they do not, what? Believe in me. People, that's the ultimate sin. The sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. The sin of not believing in Him. You see, sin is not a particular act. It's not like stealing or lying or or, or, or anything else. The real sin that casts a person into hell itself is the act of rejection or unbelief in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Rejecting God's only way to bring life into a person's heart, which is only through His Son, Jesus Christ, results in a rejection. That's why Paul writes verses 2 and 3. He says in verse 2, Look, If you don't accept Christ, 
He says the only way you can walk is according to this world. Watch, verse 2. In which you formerly walked. He, he grouped every one of them into this because he will in verse 3. Look, he says, which you formerly walked, verse 2, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan. Among them, we too, Paul says, all of us formerly lived. The lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of our minds, and we're by nature, by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. Key to this phrase is the word world, W-O-R-L-D. It is in the Greek cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. It represents not just this created world that we can see from space, but rather it represents the world's order. It represents the world's system, the world's values, the way of doing things. Ultimately, it is following its leader, its prince, who is none other than Satan, the devil, who is, verse 2, the prince of the power of the air. Those who defy God, who are persistent in their rejection of His ways, and the worse their system becomes, the more they try to, uh, to, to, to justify it. And then they condemn those of us who speak against it. If you can't see that happening today in our society today, I don't know where you're living. The world system, although there are many ideas of how to run this system, it still boils down to one similar refrain. In short, it is their desire to be their own God or gods. For instance, have you ever heard anyone say to, to you perhaps or to somebody, who are you? to tell me what I can do within the privacy of my own home. Who are you to tell me what I can do with my own body? With a statement like that, a person ultimately desires to become their own God. I want to show you what God says about that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. It's to the left. You'll go past a second and or Galatians and 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, and you're going to come to Romans chapter 1, the very first chapter. It is perhaps the most amazing place in Scripture that you will ever read. I encourage you to read it often and get to, to understand what is written in there. It says in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, written, of course, by Paul, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them because God made it evident to them. In other words, God is saying right at the top of this particular place, no one's with an excuse. Everyone knows better because God Himself has made them realize their wrongs. But he says in verse 20, since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly seen. By the way, the creation of this world talks about the world itself, but also the world's system. These things have been clearly seen, being understood 
through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God, nor give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man or of a bird or a four-footed animal or a crawling creature. And in verse 24 and 26 and 28 is a tremendously intimidating place in Scripture. Therefore, it says in verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And in choosing to do that and going on in that lifestyle, verse 26 says, For this reason God gave them over. You note in verse 24, He gave them over. Here in verse 26, He again says, He gave them over. And He gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and they burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28 says, And just as they did not see fit, to acknowledge God any longer. Third time, verse 26, 24, 26, and 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Here's the catch, verse 32. And although they knew that the ordinances of God, that those who practiced such things were worthy of death, they not only did these things, but they also gave hearty approval to those who practiced them. Folks, that is our society today, across this world in which we live. God is giving people over so that they can be their own gods. They want to run their own lives. They want to fit into this world system, whatever that system might be. But the bottom line to the system is not so much the the values, but really the system is everyone wants to be their own god. Who is God to tell me what I am to do with my body? And so this lifestyle back in Ephesians, but I would encourage you to read over that chapter a few times. In Ephesians chapter 2, this this lifestyle in verse 2 was the course of this world. In other words, the world's system, the world's values. And it is now at work within the sons of disobedience, those who follow after Satan in his ways. And listen, not all unsaved people are possessed by Satan or his demons. Don't, Don't misunderstand But either knowingly or unknowingly, they are being led by this system, this world society in which we now live, this word called cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. This world system 
which influences many lives and sets life patterns. For instance, our, our clothes, the food we eat, the quick-paced lifestyle. How many wanted a lifestyle this quick? I mean, we didn't choose this. Financial burdens that we have. Television that we watch, some of us watch some of it. Magazines, movies that are shown, music that is played. Some of this music, you call it music, young people? I don't know. Church philosophies, it isn't just out there. It's, it's within the church that changes the whole idea of, of, of not studying the Word of God so as to not to confuse guests who come in so that they don't feel out of place because they might not have a Bible. And so we, we compromise, some churches do, and they change their church philosophy to fit into this world system. And if one is not careful, they're going to get sucked into a web of following after this world rather than following after our God. And here at this church, we want you to know the Word of God so that you know what you're following after and why you're following after it. Let me close with this. Satan's purpose is not to get you and me to do evil things. Now, our flesh does a good enough job with that. What Satan desires is that for people to reject his son, to not believe in Jesus Christ, and to get you and me so engrossed in this world system in which we live that we do not represent a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is so that someone might come to trust and believe in Him. And Satan is at work, as, as it says in verses 2 and 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, he is at work through the sons of disobedient and with the children of wrath. <clears throat> and these two groups are in opposition to God and God's ways. His system. They love the world. They love Satan's ways more. His cosmos. And look around. See it. Marvel at what is happening right before our eyes in this world, this global world now we live in, where we got to be like the people all over this world. Since when? Why? Founding Father... Well, I don't want to get political. We don't need that. We need to set our hearts upon our Lord. We need to understand who He is. First and foremost, you and I need to understand something about who we are. We are we are people who, until we come to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, we are people who are dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses, those things we've done accidentally, and our sins, those things we've done on purpose. And we need a Savior. And the people in this world need people who represent this Savior. Last night I happened, uh, when I got home, I taped uh, the induction into the Football Hall of Fame. I don't know if you saw that or not, Jimmy. There was a guy named Rob, Rod Wood, Woodson or something like that. I have never in my life heard, and I've been in ministry with athletes all my life, I've never in my life heard another athlete stand up and proclaim the grace and the, and the wonders of God. God Almighty through Jesus Christ more clearly than that young man did in my lifetime. I, I wanted to stand up. In fact, I almost stood up and applauded for what he said on television. It took a lot for him to do it, but it didn't appear to me that it took any courage. This man, it appears to me, just lives it. 
The world needs people like that. Now, you and I might not be that vocal, but we need to live a lifestyle that represents our Lord to the people out there so that they can see what it is we stand for. You and I, many people have said this before, it's not new with me, you and I might be the only Bible that some people will ever look at. The only church that they might ever attend might be our witnessing to them about Jesus Christ. We need to understand who we are. We need to understand who He is within our lives. And we need to understand how desperately He loves all people. He allowed His Son to die for every single one of us. Everyone. And then He entrusted, of all things, He entrusted the very essence of church to you and me. Can you believe that? I often wonder about that plan. But He's entrusted you and me with the, with the ability to go forth and proclaim the goodness of Christ. Now for some it might just be having someone a, a cool glass of water, as it says in Scripture. It might be just enough. For others of us it might be that we, we talk a lot. We tell people about our, our Christ. Whatever it is, know this. That people out there are dead. They're dead in their trespasses and they're dead in their sins. And God has their hearts ready to hear from you and me. Father, may we be faithful to people that gives them an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ, His, His life, His words, His death, His resurrection, and His coming back again. And that because of what He has done on the cross, the blood that He has shed for all of us, we too, by trusting in Him, can have eternal life. It doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come through our being good enough. No, this, this life has been transformed from death to life because of faith in Jesus Christ. Because we did not reject that one whom you sent, Father. May we love your Son with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strength. And may we sing often how great is our God. Father, thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all with all of my heart. I want to hope I see you next week. And if you can, bring a friend. God bless you.